You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. to our attention, four themes, four themes that we find in the story. And the first one is faith in the midst of famine. Fear haunted the region, fear haunted the region as people faced shortages of all kinds. I'm referring to the days of Elijah in this passage, but I could almost be speaking about our lives today. God had brought about a drought. And in a farming society like theirs, nothing could be more frightening. No rain meant no crops, no livestock, no food, no life. Elijah meets a widow at the city gates of Zarephath and she's just scared for herself and for her son. Her cupboards are finally empty and she has no one else to lean on. In those days, just like in ours, disaster always harms the most vulnerable the most. So she's just gathering sticks for a fire so she can cook her final meal. Just like with this widow's life, for the past several weeks, especially the last two weeks, our lives have been drastically altered by unseen forces of nature forces far beyond our control. Our city, nation, our world are plagued by the fear of disease and even death. And even if some groceries have been harder to come by, we're not quite facing a literal famine, but we are struggling right now with different kinds of shortages, what you might even call a famine of security. We're facing a a famine of peace of mind. Even if it's by design, we're facing a a famine of social contact. Uh, Many are facing a famine of the normalcy of routine and the chaos that that's introduced. Uh, For some, the, the famine of job security is knocking on your door. Brothers and sisters, where do you feel most famished Today, what, what famines are plaguing your soul? That part of your life where you've been finding the, the grocery shelves of your heart bare and empty, completely out of resources. And so we find ourselves flooded by fears of all kinds, and not just the fear of disease and death, but the fear of all these other famines as well. And so we need to hear this from the Lord. In the midst of fear and famine, in verse 13, Elijah says to this widow, do not fear. Do not fear. Right now, it's really easy to give in to fear, isn't it? To let fear have dominion over our thoughts, our conversations, our actions. You may not have a prophet right now living in your home to give you peace, but in fact, you have someone better. You have the personal presence of the true Elijah, the one to whom Elijah points us, 
Jesus himself. Hear the word of the Lord today. Do not fear. The Lord is near to you. God loves you and God is with you. And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, not disease and not even death. There's a second theme that we find in this passage. Second, generosity in the midst of scarcity. Generosity in the midst of scarcity. Earlier, God met Elijah's needs by sending ravens, birds that fed him by a brook. But God also sees sees fit to meet Elijah's needs through the generosity of another human being. The widow made bread day after day, and she shared some with Elijah. And of course, it would have taken faith for her to do this, right? She had to really believe Elijah's promise, God's promise, that he would replenish her little storehouse in the form of a jar and jug. Each time she scooped out the flour and poured the last drop of oil, it would have felt like the last of what she had. God had called her to a season of generosity, giving sacrificially right at the time when she'd most be tempted to save herself and forget about others. But she was enabled by God to trust the Lord and to love her neighbor. It's a strange thought to ponder. Even coronavirus isn't a reason to let self-centeredness go viral. Not in our hearts, and not in our communities. Because God God calls us, his people, to generosity even in the midst of scarcity. Indeed, especially in the midst of scarcity. And of course, we're tempted to become afraid that we're going to run out, run out of energy, run out of love, run out of toilet paper. And in fact, we do run out. Our human resources are in short supply, all the more so in days like these. But will we believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, God won't let the jugs and jars of our souls to run empty. Our cup runneth over. A a, a river of eternal life bubbles forth from our heart. And of course, the first way that we're loving each other, generously serving our neighbors with generosity is by social distancing. We're we're loving our neighbor by our absence. But I want to remind you, don't forget, social distancing refers to our physical presence. But it does not mean we should be, at this time, relational distancing or fellowship distancing. Because we we need each other more than ever. We should be calling and reaching out to and Zooming each other more, not less. Grace Midden Hill Elder Steve Davis recently shared a, a really helpful quote by Rabbi Yosef 
Konevsky. And these are words that he said. Every hand that we don't shake should become a phone call that we place. Every physical embrace that we avoid must become a verbal expression of warmth and concern. So who do you need to call? Yeah, even today. How can we creatively show our love to spend ourselves on each other, even as others generously reciprocate and spend themselves on us? Because here's the mystery of gospel love, especially in a time like this. In this season of inconvenience, we should be, by God's grace, more willing, not less, to inconvenience ourselves even more for the sake of brother, sister, and neighbor. Even in, and especially in seasons of scarcity, God calls us to sacrificial generosity. And don't forget, the most important thing you need to know, dear friends, is that the jug of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty. A third theme that we find in this passage is this lament in the midst of loss. Lament in the midst of loss. Tragedy strikes the widow's home. Her son becomes ill and his illness becomes so severe, we're told that eventually he dies. Immediately and understandably, the widow erupts with emotion. She says to Elijah, "Why have you, what have you against me, O man of God? You, you've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. So here, grief brings her to two places, accusation and guilt. This is your fault. This must be my fault. These are emotional days. We shouldn't be surprised when people around us erupt with emotion. But notice how Elijah laments too. He brings his emotions to God. He cries out to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Those are direct words challenging words. Friends, think about this. It, it may not be the loss of life itself. For some of you, perhaps it may be. But every one of us has lost things over the past few weeks. Some have lost financial resources, jobs. Plans have drastically changed. Projects postponed, canceled. Some have lost things dearly in a way that just has your mind and heart spinning. Brothers and sisters, have you brought these losses before your heavenly father? Have you lamented these losses? You know, because in times like this, it's, it's actually really easy to just buckle down and carry around vague but unarticulated feelings of disappointment or grief. But what this passage teaches us is that we need to bring our emotions to God and even to say them out loud 
before him. God, I'm really disappointed about this. God, I'm mad about this. Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity upon us? How long, oh, Lord? God invites you to lament in the midst of loss, not to bottle it up and not just to soldier forward numbly to the next thing and also not to medicate it and to turn to other unhealthy modes of coping. God wants to be the God of lament with you and for you. Will you bring your true and honest heart before him? He'll receive you. You have his permission to do so. More than that, you have his fatherly care his sympathy, his love. But he also invites you to see him as the God of living in the midst of dying. And this is our fourth and final theme, living in the midst of dying. This is the climax of the story. Elijah brings the boy, carries him up into his room. We're told he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The boy somehow was revived. His life returned. Resurrection. And the point of this part of the story is not, of course, that God will keep you from getting sick. No, please stay home and keep washing your hands. And the point certainly isn't that God will resuscitate you immediately if anything bad were to happen. No, so look out for yourself and your neighbors. The point is rather that God holds complete authority over every principality and power in our world, even over death itself. There's nothing that's outside of his control. The point is that death never has the last word. Pestilence, disease, and fear don't have the last word. This too shall pass. Do you believe it? And one day, not only this disease, but all disease and even death itself will be extinguished from our world when Christ finally returns. This is the great hope of the Christian faith. Coronavirus doesn't have the last word. Jesus does. And we know this because even this passage points us to that day when there would be another son who would die and after three days, would be revived again as conqueror of sin and death so that in his life, in the life of Jesus, we might have life, that we might have life and have an indestructible hope. Today, there's a lot of uncertainty about the future, but I wonder if part of our anxiousness is because we're actually not looking far enough into the future. I mean, what's the long, long, even longer view of what's going on right now? It's this. 
as Scott Sauls has put it, do you know the worst case scenario for those who are in Christ is resurrection and eternal life. For those who are in Christ, even if you die, you shall never die, but shall live. This is the hope of resurrection, the hope we have in Christ. And so in light of that, we can be vigilant. We can love generously, lament freely, and not be afraid. Because don't you know who we are? Who are we, brothers and sisters? In Christ, we are people of the resurrection. A hundred years ago, the world was pummeled by another terrible outbreak, the influenza pandemic of 1918. And our city, Washington, D.C., got shut down. Schools were closed as they are today. Stores were closed and even churches too. And when that terrible disease finally passed, the great African-American preacher, Francis Grimke, reflected in a sermon on, on what God perhaps was doing based upon his word. What do we know about what God might be doing in, in and through that outbreak? Grimke was the pastor of 15th Street Presbyterian Church in the Shaw neighborhood down the street. And he later confessed that at first he was rattled by the disruption, plans falling apart. But then he gained perspective. And this is what he wrote. I started to worry at first as it seemed to upset all of our plans. But I soon recovered my composure. I said to myself, why worry? God knows what he's doing. His work is not going to suffer. It will rather be a help to it in the end. Out of it, I believe great good is coming. All the churches, as well as the community at large, are going to be the stronger and better for this season of distress through which we have been passing. Let me read that last line again. Out of it, I believe great good is coming. All the churches, as well as the community at large, are going to be the stronger and better for this season of distress through which we have been passing. Friends, you can only talk like that if you believe in resurrection. You can only believe that if you believe that God is in the business of bringing life out of death. And if you believe that Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. Let's pray. Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.